ready. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. To the Outstanding Ohioan Show. Thank you for the Outstanding Ohioan Show. Hosted by my daddy. Hosted by my daddy. Thank you, Ryan and Sawyer, for that great introduction. Indeed, this is the Outstanding Ohioan Show. I believe Ohio and the people of Ohio have an incredible, wide-ranging, and proud impact that needs to be shared with the world. And it's always been that way throughout the history of the United States. The job of the Outstanding Ohioans podcast is to share these remarkable success stories with an intelligent and curious audience. The Outstanding Ohioans podcast connects to highly accomplished people in all walks of life and shares their secrets to success. And today we've got another great success story to share with you. Thank you for listening. And please leave your comments on iTunes, Stitcher, or the blog post. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. Hello, thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioan Show. This is episode 51, and my name is Ron Silico. Today we have a very special guest with some unique Ohio ties uh, early on in his life. Uh, Gary Adams, who's a longtime, now retired collegiate NCAA and NCAA Division II championship winning baseball coach, uh, wrapped up his career coaching the last 30 years at UCLA, and is an author of several books, and one of those books in particular will probably be the main topic of our conversation today. Gary, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be uh, here, and it's interesting to be called from way back there. (laughs) Are you in Ohio right now? Yes, sir. Uh, In fact, I live in Oxford, Ohio, not too far from where you grew up. Yes. Maybe if if I'd have stayed in Ohio, I'd have probably ended up at the University of Miami, uh, playing in Oxford. Yeah, I'd have done that or else ended up working at the Champion Paper Mill in (laughs) Hamilton, Ohio. (laughs) So, who knows? Yeah, for, for the audience, Gary, since uh, this is an Ohio, this is an audience that uh, I focus on, uh, folks in Ohio. Uh, can you can you share your story uh, about the time that you spent in Ohio and then how you ended up moving out west? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I I grew up on uh, 963 Northeast Street in Hamilton, Ohio. It was on the west side of town. Uh, we didn't have many ball fields to play on, so I remember uh, my brother and I, I have a twin brother, and we would uh, get the neighbors and we would uh, go down to the wheat field, cut Farmer Schaefer's wheat out in a patch in the middle of his patch there and, and uh, build us a ball field. I don't think he knew we, we were doing that because the wheat was so tall, you know, he couldn't <laughs> see us little guys playing. That's pretty much how I grew up playing baseball. And uh, I had a hero. Uh, my hero was in my our own family, my uncle Al Kaiser. They called him Bud Kaiser. And he played uh, for the Texas Red Peppers in uh, 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 minor league ball. Yeah, one, one year he, he led all of professional baseball with the highest batting average. And he uh, and he, he went to bat a, 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 a lot every game. I mean, you know, he played in every game. But uh, I know he always he played for the old St. Louis Browns uh, minor league 
organizations. Never was caught up to the big leagues, but he was our hero. When he retired from playing professional ball, then he played for Hudipol. I don't know if you remember that, but Hudipol was a famous beer in, uh, around Hamilton, Ohio, and they sponsored a team, and they traveled all over to play games, and my brother and I went with them and played. Uh, they were the outstanding players from Hamilton, Ohio. They just pretty much toured the area. Uh, so that was that was a hero in my own family, but the, the real hero outside the family was I know you'll hear you'll remember this name was left-handed pitcher Joe Nuxaw. Sure, sure. He lived right up the street from us, and uh, boy, uh, I mean he he was a big hero. He still holds the record for the youngest player ever to play in the the big league. And uh, I, I was uh, about seven years younger than him, and he, uh, my my goal was to beat his record. <laughs> and he, uh, to be the, I wanted to be younger than him when I made it to the major leagues. I don't know how many other kids had that dream, you know. But of course, that record has never been broken, and I, I doubt it ever will be broken. Yeah. Uh, but Joe Nuxall, he was pitched uh, for the Cincinnati Reds. That was our favorite team. Uh, you couldn't couldn't walk down the street, Northeast Street, with, with uh, in the summertime without hearing. And everybody's out on the front porch listening to Wait Hoyt announce the ball games. I don't know if you're too young to remember that or not, but I, I know old old timers like me. If you're in your 70s, I know you you remember Wait Hoyt, you know, and you'll remember Joe Joe Nuxaw. That. That's such a neat story. I, I moved to Oxford in 1997, but I, and, but I grew up in the uh-huh. Cleveland area, so uh, very similar listening to Herb Score uh, be part of broadcast uh, on the radio. Uh, okay. And, uh, okay, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll t- tell you a story about Joe Nuxall, uh, how infatuated I was uh, with him. You know, he went to the uh, Wilson Junior High School. Um, uh, I quite a bit ahead of me, you know, and he played basketball. He was a great basketball player, too. Uh, in fact, Wilson Junior High scheduled no junior high teams uh, Joe's ninth grade year uh, because they could compete with the high school teams around the area, and they even beat them uh, all because of Joe. Everybody said he might have been a better basketball player than a baseball player. But anyway, uh, uh, he, I think his number was 37 on the on the uh, basketball team. I'm not positive right now, but but I remember I wanted to wear his uniform. Now I I was about four foot ten, you know, in the ninth grade, and uh, Joe Joe was already six foot tall, you know. Uh, and but I wanted to wear his uniform, and it was between me and another guy, but. I fought him for it, I won, and I, I got to wear his uniform, and I remember I had to roll up that uniform and tuck it inside my shirt, and the, the shirt kept dropping down below where my, at the end of my shorts were, 
you know, but I, I wanted to wear that uniform. Nothing would stop me from wearing it, even though it probably slowed me down a lot. But that, that's how I, that, that's how important Joe Nexall was, was to me. You, you have such great memories, Gary, and you, you had such strong connections in Hamilton, friendships, etc. At what point did your family move out west, and can you share what the reason was with the audience? Yeah, well, my dad worked at uh, uh, Copper's Coke Company. Uh, it kind of, he always described it as, we, we stir, we make tar. It's a byproduct of Kaiser Steel Mills. I don't know if you remember Kaiser Steel, but anyway, that was a big operation in, in, in Hamilton. And, uh, but he, he worked for Copper's Coke Company, and... and uh, they wanted to expand uh, to uh, to Riverside, well, actually Fontana, California, and uh, so they asked him. He was a foreman. Yeah, you know, actually worked as hard as the lowest guy on the totem pole. So it was kind of a shock that they would ask him. Uh, he, he was, he, but he was a foreman. They had nobody else. He said, and they asked him to go to Fontana. To work at Kaiser Steel, uh, but also uh, Copper's Coke Company, uh, the division of Kaiser Steel, and, and we had to move. And my brother and I, we we were in the middle of our ninth grade year. We we really protested. We did not want to leave our friends in Ohio. We and we vowed we would always be. Buck, Ohio State Buckeye fans, Cincinnati Reds fans, you know, <laughs> all, all the way through. Uh, and we pretty much were, even when we we went to college at, U, at UCLA, we were still rooting for the Buckeyes. But anyway, uh, we moved out here when we were 14, and, and uh, we got into the organized baseball and basketball and football. We played all three sports, my brother and I did. And, but uh, went to UCLA after uh, high school and one and a half years of Riverside Junior College. Okay. So, and you go to college and you play baseball. Uh, what, what was your career like and what was your, what was your overall experience in college like for you? Well, we, we really became, uh, we, we got to love UCLA, the Bruins, of course, and uh, uh, playing baseball at UCLA was a big thing. And, and uh, one of my first memories, it was my first year I was at UCLA playing ball. I was actually a bench warmer my first year. You know, I got, got to play the uh the, my final two years a lot. I was captain of the team, but but uh, anyway, my first big memory of playing ball at UCLA was when Coach Wooden came to the uh, came to watch us play baseball. And now he hadn't even won a national championship yet, but the. We, my brother and I always watched on black and white TV. We, we watched the UCLA basketball games on the local television. And uh, he was a hero to us. Uh, and he was a hero to everybody, to every student that went to UCLA because uh, 
he, they were playing in a small gym. They called it uh, D.O. Gym because it, it, the body odors they, <laughs> in that place got so bad, and it was a small gym. But he won. He won ball games, and he won the conference. Uh, and now he was well respected. But he, 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 they had to play on big games. They had to play at neutral sites. Uh, the Venice High School gym was bigger than the UCLA gym, hmm. so they played in Venice. And Venice High School was closer to USC than it was to UCLA, but it was a home game. But, but anyway, getting back to that ball game, uh, I remember uh, one of our uh, my fellow bench warmers said, Hey, Wooden's here. Wooden's here. And we all got up and went, we all turned our backs on the ball game. We were in the dugout, and, and we looked through the peepholes in the, in the dugout, looked up, and we could see Coach Whitman sitting there. I think all of us wanted to go up and get his autograph right then and there, but knowing John, I know I know what he'd have said if we'd have hopped over and said, could you sign our gloves or a baseballs? He'd have said, after the game, boys, after the game. I know that's... That's just the way it was. You want to concentrate on the game. But he used to come to our games. We always seemed to uh, pick up a little more adrenaline when he was in the audience watching us. You know, but he he loved baseball. And I gotta uh, I'll, I'll, I gotta tell you this story too. Uh, this is this is in my book uh, early in the in the book. I I never did meet. Coach Whitten when I was when I played baseball at UCLA, but when they hired me at UCLA in 1974, uh, uh, Jamie Morgan, our athletic director, introduced me to John. And, and when I reached my hand out to shake hands with him, I said, "Pleased to meet you, Mr. Wood." I called him Mr. Wood, and uh, he said, "Well, Gary, you know you're coaching my favorite sport." <laughs> I said, baseball? I couldn't believe baseball was his favorite sport. I knew he liked it, but I figured basketball must be his favorite sport. But he said, no, baseball has always been my favorite sport. And uh, <laughs> some people thought I was a better baseball player than a basketball player. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, Coach, Coach Hoyt and I got to know each other. Pretty, pretty well. After that, uh, he, he he always wanted to talk about baseball. Hardly ever did we talk about his sport, basketball. He, he wanted to talk about baseball. And uh, when he retired, so I was hired, and it was his last year. My first year at UCLA was his last year of coaching. Uh, the Bruins. They won the national championship in the academic year 1974-75, and and that was my first year. But um, as it turned out, Coach Whitman and I uh, uh, became office mates because my athletic director, um, J.D. Morgan, called me into the office and uh, asked me if I would mind sharing my my office with Coach Wooden to make Coach Wooden feel welcome to come back anytime he wanted to, because they know he was getting so much fan mail, and he always he always uh, uh, answered every letter that he could, and and uh, 
They wanted him to have a desk to write on. Can you believe that? They, they asked me, uh, uh, he, when he asked me that, I, I told my athletic director, how much do I have to pay him? <laughs> so he, he, anyway, Coach Wood and I, we ended up, uh, uh, he, he would come uh, almost every day to the office and we'd talk baseball. Uh, he, would, he, he was actually my mentor. I, I wish I would have listened to him even more, but uh, anyway, uh, maybe I'd have won more games, but he was, he was a, a teacher of baseball and basketball, but we we shared that office for about eight years, and, the, uh, and when his wife died, Nell, with his wife, uh, he, he stopped coming to UCLA, I think it brought back uh, uh, unpleasant memories for a while. So he, he didn't come for a while, but then, then he did resume coming back, and he come to the office always, and I come in and we talk baseball. But we became friends uh, until he passed away in 2010 at the age of 99. And he's, uh, uh, we went to dinner together, we went to lunch together, went to breakfast together, we watched games together. Uh, he especially, he liked going to uh, the Dodgers games, and, and he liked going to the Angels games. Uh, I remember once uh, when we were with uh, uh, Mike Sosha and Joe Torre. Joe Torre was the manager of the Dodgers, and Mike Sosha was the manager of the Angels, still is. But uh, we were sitting at a table, and and Mike Sosha had the nerve <laughs> to ask John, I said, John, when you're, when you're watching television and the Angels are playing and the Dodgers are playing at the same, same time, what channel, what game are you watching? Well, I remember thinking, oh, no, you put him on the spot right in front of Joe Torre, you, you know, what do you think he's going to answer? And Coach Whitten said, I'm channel surfing. <laughs> Everybody busted out laughing when he said that, but that that was uh, that was at a a picnic that we went to. Uh, he wanted to talk baseball. It was called "Let's Talk Baseball" with Coach Wooden, and uh, he invited uh, myself and, and Joe Torrey and Mike Sosa. Uh, uh, Bill Sharman, I don't know if you recognize that name, but he used to play mm -hmm. pro basketball and baseball for the Dodgers. But anyway, uh, John passed away, uh, see, that was in February that we had that, and March, April, May, um, three months and ten days later, he, he passed away at the age of 99. Mm -hmm. But he, he was sharp, he was sharp as a tack. You know, uh, uh, all the way up to the time he passed away. Mm -hmm. Something I wanted you to share with the audience, Gary, if you could, was uh, share share the process of how you decided to write this book. Um, it was a unique topic because it was baseball and Coach Wooden, and you also had some challenges uh, from a from a, a memory perspective, if you will, because I believe I read on your website 
you had been taking notes of some of your conversations, but then you had a house fire, and, oh, yeah. and you lost some of the, and you lost all the, all your writing materials. Can you just take the audience through how, why you decided to write the book and how you did that? Okay. Well, first of all, uh, regarding those notes that I was taking, uh, I didn't want Coach Wooden to feel like I was writing everything down, so I never wrote anything down in front of him, you know, but as soon as he would leave the office, you know, I would, you know, I would get out my notepad and I'd write down what he said. I I didn't, I never thought in in a million years that I I was taking these notes down to someday write a book. Never once gave that any thought. uh, I did it because I wanted to become a better coach. <laughs> you know, it had nothing to do with, with uh, someday writing a book. Uh, so I took a lot of notes, and and uh, I did. I did since we shared the same desk. I kept the notes at my home uh, in Malibu, California, and uh, I uh, kept the notes at home. And well. There, there was a big fire that destroyed uh, uh, 206 homes uh, in one big sweep. The fire uh, didn't stop until it reached the Pacific Ocean, and it started about 26 miles uh, away. So it wiped out everything in its path, and our house happened to be one of the 206. You know, and, uh, I was at practice that day, day and I got a call. Uh, better go home. My family was there and everything. So I got there just in time to watch my house burn down. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, uh, that's kind of a prelude to, to how I ended up writing that book. Uh, I, I tried to remember as best I can some of the notes that I took. and I, I remember uh, not, not until... Not until the, the, I'd say, 15 minutes after we left that picnic I was telling you about, uh, uh, the, the Let's Talk Baseball, I was driving home. My wife and one of my five daughters was, was in the car, and without even thinking much about it, I, I said, you know, Kevin love baseball, and, you know, Somebody ought to write a book about his love for the game of baseball. You know, everybody knows, uh, you know, there's been books about his basketball and all that, but somebody ought to write a book about his love for baseball. And I still, when I said that, I did not think that I would be the person. But anyway, about a minute later, my wife said, well, Gary, why don't you write the book? No one knows him better than you that is, about his love for baseball. I just said, really? <laughs> and she said, yeah, you write children's books. <laughs> you, can write, you can probably write it. So I I gave that some thought. By the time we got home, we, we lived two and a half hours from, uh, from the, where that picnic was. We got to Tehachapi, our home site. And there, I, I, by the time I got here, I said, okay, I'm going to write a book about Coach Wooden and his love for baseball. I know 
it's the the title of the book is Conversations with Coach Wooden, and I I did not I was not in agreement with my publishing company. They they have the rights to all publishing companies can they have the right to to make the title. You're, you're in charge of what's in the middle of the book, <laughs> the content. But they have that color design, all that kind of stuff, the format, and they, they're in charge of the title. They're, they're, I, I told them from the very beginning, the title should be Coach Wooden, My Favorite Sport is Baseball, because hmm. I wanted it to reach the baseball audience. Mm-hmm. But I lost that argument, and I, I argued about it, I, I guess... That stalled the progress a, a week or two, you know. I'm, I'm pretty easy-minded, and I, I was anxious to get the book published. I didn't want that to stop it, you know. But as it turned out, it, uh, what on Amazon and on all of the book things, it, it, it's considered a basketball book. Hmm. But really, for... Your audience out there, if they're baseball fans, they're going to appreciate the book a lot more than the basketball fans. Uh, not that the basketball fans won't, because basketball is certainly included, but but baseball is the main thing. And I, I still, to this day, I wish it had been called Coach Wooden. My favorite sport is baseball, but that's life. you got to bend, <laughs> so I bet. Uh, when 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 people talk about Coach Wooden and something I, I've had conversations with, I, I've I've coached sports before. Uh, pe- discussions I've had is I would argue that he made more impact after he retired because of all the books he wrote on leadership and coaching, uh, those kind of things. Of course, he had the pyramid of success that he published when he was coaching. Uh, I know you incorporated the pyramid, and you talked about having conversations with him about being a better coach. Can you share with the audience the leadership philosophy that you created from those conversations, through your experiences, and in helping use the pyramid to craft your philosophy? Well, uh, yeah, his pyramid of success. Uh, what, what I asked him, you know. Why, why'd you do this? He said, I wanted something simple for my players to, to know what I expected from them. Uh, I, I wanted it to be on one page, very simple, and, and, and be an, an illustration of some kind. And uh, he, he said he had a coach uh, in high school that used a ladder that explained that coach's philosophy. And, he said uh, he thought about using a ladder, you know, climbing up the ladder to success and all that. But finally he put it all together in, in 1948 when he was named the basketball coach at UCLA. It was the first time that he, he hung the pyramid of success on the wall of his office at UCLA. And uh, so I started to think, oh, I do you know, John's been such an influence, and I, I really like the thought that it, would, it is 
it's good if a, if a player, one of your players can look at just one page of something and know exactly what you expect out of them, you know, that, that would be a good thing. You know, it took me <laughs> all the way to about 1994 before it dawned on me that the best thing I could use would be a baseball itself. You know, the seams of the baseball could divide the, the different areas that I thought college baseball players should should be uh, uh, concentrating on and, and be committed to. So I didn't call mine the pyramid of success, but I called it the sphere of commitment of the UCLA player, and it can be sphere of commitment of anybody who plays on a team, but I divided, uh, I, I made, a, I did a drawing of a baseball uh, with uh, the four most important areas that I thought my players should work on while they're in college, being young men, trying to be mature and good men, uh, team was one of the divisions uh, of being a good team player. And then character, uh, both on and off the field, was another division. And, of course, academics during UCLA should make the effort to learn and, and to graduate. And there, on the other side of the baseball was career. You know, uh, I wanted my players to follow their dreams. I, uh, uh, and I, I talked to them about in following your dreams. I know that most of, most of you want to be major league baseball players, and I said, I'm here to help you become a major league baseball player. Some of you will will make it, some of you won't. But there's no use uh, not giving it a shot if that's what your dream has always been. You, you know, but. I always made sure I told them, make sure you have a backup plan. So follow your dreams, but make sure you have a backup plan. So those were the four divisions, and then right in the center of the baseball, where the core is in the baseball, were the two most important things of all, and that was uh, uh, your family. You know, take care of your family, uh, be a good family member, and then uh, also your spirituality, whatever your spirit spirit is, you know, whatever your religion, whatever, you know. Uh, so family and, and your spiritual are, are the two most important things. They were at the core of the baseball. So um, that's, that's, it was pretty simple. My, my players knew that uh, I, I was interested in winning, but... Winning wasn't the most important thing, and I, I think, I think Coach Wooden, uh, he, he pretty much, uh, I never forgot what he told me about winning. Uh, he never talked to his players about winning much, uh, hardly at all. Uh, and in fact, uh, one thing uh, when I when I do speak at places, I always recite. When he told me one day in, a, in the office, I didn't want to write it while he was talking, but it was so profound in my estimation. I waited for him to leave. As soon as he left, I pulled out the pen and pad and I wrote it down. Uh, he said, Gary, life is not about winning, as most people define the word. 
Life is about trying to be the best you can be. And when your best doesn't quite cut it, how quickly you can recover and learn from it. Never forgot that. Always told my players that. So that's certainly one one thing that I, I, I took from him. So, but I, I remember one day I did ask him, I said, Coach, you, you know, everybody says, yeah, did you, Gary, did you ever hear Coach Wooden talk about to his, to his players about winning? And I, so I asked him, I said, John, everybody says, you always tell them, you know, you, you never spoke to your players uh, about winning, you know. He said, that's true, Gary. I didn't. I hardly ever mentioned the word win. I said, that's hard to believe, John. They said, well, they did know I hated to lose. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's how John John put it. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I borrowed, uh, I I guess I should say, I I stole a lot of things from Coach Wooden, you know, but uh, I... uh, I think um, he, you were so right, uh, Ron, when, when you said that uh, he, he was uh, just as great. I think you even said uh, probably more great after he finished coaching with all of his speeches, lecturing, and wisdom that he imparted to, imparted to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I, I, I've always said too, uh, Coach Whitten, he was he was voted by the Sports Writers of America, ESPN, and Sports Illustrated as the greatest coach of the 20th century. And uh, I, I've always said he was also the greatest ex-coach of the 20th century. So, uh, so you and I are certainly in agreement there, and. Yep, certainly. And just he, 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 he not only imparted this wisdom with words, but he, he lived it through, through his example, you know. So he always said it, the best, the, the best uh, way for your players to learn, you know, uh, uh, from you is by your example. So that's why when I was younger anyway, I, I always ran. If I was punishing my players for some reason, usually when they didn't show up for study hall or something or class, I, I, would, I would make them run, and I would run with them. And I, I was always been in good, I've always been in good condition, and I knew when I got tired that they had to be almost ready to drop. So <laughs> they, they hated it when I said, follow me. You know, but but uh, I think a coach has to lead by example. I, I never liked the vision of a coach standing on the sidelines with a whistle in his mouth and 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 making his players, you know, run. I I I always wanted to join them. You know, and the thing that I could do. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that that's a great example and. You mentioned his impact. I could tell you, I I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old son, and one of their favorite books is, well, three of their favorite books are the Inch and Miles book series that Coach Wooden wrote. Yeah. 
uh, talking yeah. yeah talking about the pyramid and they they love those books and uh, they're great books yeah. and, and and we write we get funny, you know uh, uh, this wasn't by plan but you know uh, Coach Whitman never dreamed that he he would end up being an author uh, uh, of of nonfiction books and and an author of children's books. I never dreamed of that either. You know, never mm-hmm. dreamed that I would be asked to speak. You know, places about baseball and about Coach Wooden. You know how to play the game or whatever. You know, and he he spent all of his time doing that after he retired. So our our lives have been pretty similar. The biggest difference has been uh, his winning percentage was way better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something, something I'm curious about. Uh, I, I I know well at least based on things I've read that Coach Wooden was very modest. Uh, in Indiana, he's still regarded as one of the five top players ever to come out of the state for basketball. The coach yeah. wouldn't ever talk about how good of a baseball player he was with you? You know, uh, he, he told me how uh, they wanted uh, uh, Cincinnati wanted to sign him to play uh, uh, ball after uh, high school and uh, also uh, after his first year at Purdue he almost signed a, a contract with, I forget, I forget what the pro team was, but it was major league team who wanted to sign him in. And he almost did, and he went in to talk to his coach at Purdue, and the, uh, uh, his coach talked to him, talked him out of it, said, hey, we're, we're going to have good teams here. You're, you're going to be part of a, a, a of a great team and what do you want to be when you finish playing baseball what would you want to be he said well I want to be a teacher an English teacher is what he told his coach and uh, he said well you probably finish playing baseball and never go back to college you know so why don't you get your education now anyway he talked him out of it uh, and then also, Coach Whitten, you know, later on, and, and uh, uh, during his, well, I think he'd won about five national championships in basketball, the Pittsburgh Pirates asked him to be their manager, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what was it he said? I'll try to think. Oh, he's, when, the, when the general manager asked him uh, to, if, uh, would you be our manager, he said, you know, if... If if I became the manager and we and we happened to lose a lot of games, he'd be the first one they would fire, and then they would fire me after that. So anyway, he didn't. He, he, he continued his coaching at UCLA, but he was asked to be the uh, manager for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, something I've read a little bit about, and I was hoping you you can shed some light on. Uh, when you read things about him or hear things about him, he was sometimes called St. John. Uh, but a lot of people that knew him very closely talked about his sense of humor. Can you 
can you speak to that and, and how he put people at ease with that and and how he how much he enjoyed that? Well, he, he really did have it. He had a great sense of humor. Uh, I remember when he, uh, uh, he when, when he, he was talking to me about uh, uh, a lesson he learned about being humble. He said, "I almost." He said, "I, I started to. I, I had a, an opportunity to." Uh, lose that humbleness once when we we won our uh, first national championship in 1964. So we we won 33 games that year. We had just uh, didn't lose a single game. We beat, I, I think it was Duke in the final, final game by 15 points. And he said, I was feeling really good about being the national champions and and uh, uh, really feeling good about myself, he said. After that game, and I woke up the next morning. Uh, they were back. It was in Louisville, Kentucky, where the, where the games were played. He woke up in the hotel, and it was Easter morning. And his wife Nell and he uh, were going to go to church on Easter, and. Uh, John said, Gary, I was, I was still feeling good about myself, thinking, uh, you know, uh, uh, all the accomplishments that, that had come my way and everything, winning a national championship. And he said, uh, Mel and I walked out the hotel, and we were standing on the sidewalk waiting for the bus to take us to church. And... All of a sudden, I felt something go splat on top of my head, and I, I bent over to, to uh, uh, Mel. I reached up and it was kind of wet and gooey, and I said, "Mel, what, what is this?" She says, "Well, it's white, sort of." <laughs> so, well, I looked up just in time to see a pigeon fly across the way behind a building, and I told Mel, "Mel." The good Lord's trying to tell me something, not to ever let this go to my head. So that <laughs> that was a story he talked about about being humble, and that, I know it all, always got some good laughs when he told that story. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite stories in, in your book, uh, if you could expand on it a little bit more, and if I if I don't get the title right, I apologize. It was something about a beanball war with Arizona State and Coach Wooden, how he asked you how that went down. Can you share that with the audience? Well, you know, that's two chapters in my book. (laughs) I have to really condense that. Uh, I don't know if you remember a a player named Troy Gloss. Sure. Uh, yeah, he, he, I know he, he played at UCLA, he was an All-American, and he still holds the, the conference record, most home runs and everything. Anyway, uh, uh, we were playing Arizona State, and Troy's first five at-bats in, in a series against ASU, they hit him three times, and the last time they hit him in the head, and he was knocked out for a little while home plate and had to go to the hospital, you know. Um, 
Uh, I always thought it was intentional. In fact, I got thrown out of the game arguing with the umpire because the umpire, you know, that was the third time he had been hit. And uh, the umpire didn't do anything, didn't throw the pitcher out, didn't throw the coach out, hmm. anything. So anyway, uh, that was down at Arizona State, and then they came uh, a three-game series, and then they came up to play us a three-game series. Um, and I knew that my players, uh, oh, okay, so Troy's back playing with us again after being in the hospital, and uh, they hit him twice in the first two games and almost hit him a couple of other times. Anyway, they were going after him again, you know. I mean, he was our, our best hitter, and he was, if you're going to try to win at all costs, that would be the guy you didn't want to play against you. Anyway, going into the final game of the series, the third game of the series, the sixth game of, of, our, time, uh, of our games with uh, ASU, uh, I knew our players were getting pretty hot, and I, I was afraid there might be something going on that uh, I wouldn't be able to control uh, if I didn't do something about it. So I had a meeting with the team prior to the game. Uh, you know, let me take care of it. We are going to retaliate. I know how you guys feel, but uh, we're going to take care of it. We're going to take care of it early, and I don't, I don't want anything done after, afterwards, you, you just play play baseball and beat these guys. So I went to my starting pitcher. He was warming up in the bullpen. His name was Pete. I said, Pete, uh, uh, I want you to drill the first batter on the first pitch of the game. I want you to hit him. I want you to aim from the waist down. Don't don't hit him in the head. You better not hit him in the head. you, you got to hit him from the waist down, but I, we got to send a message to ASU that we're just not going to uh, sit by and, and not uh, retaliate. And uh, he, he said, okay, Skip, I'll do it. He, in fact, he was happy to do it. <laughs> anyway, first pitch of the game, he, he, was, he told me there, I was more scared of you than I was hitting a guy in the head. I was... I was so he, he bounced the ball in front of the guy. The guy just co-hopped over it, you know. Uh, so he, did, he, he missed him. But he, the ball landed about three feet in front, in front of the batter. Next time he hit him right in the butt. And, uh, you know, and the, the batter went first base. The umpire knew what we were doing because we missed on the first pitch. We got him on the second pitch. So anyway, make a long story short, I, I got thrown out of that game, and so did my pitcher. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, Coach Whitman, you know, I told him this story, and I'm, I, don't, I don't think he was real, real happy about it, you know, uh, but uh, uh, he understood. He, he understood, and uh, there, there was. But Ron, there, the time that he, the time that he, he and I disagreed on what to do is when, when, uh, when one of our, our play 
Dickerson this was against Arizona State, hit a grand slam home run. The ball went over the fence, but it hit a trash bin, a big trash bin, and bounced back over right into the hands of the right fielder. And the right fielder threw the uh, the umpire said the right fielder caught it on a fly before it went over the fence. Right fielder threw the ball in and they touched third base with the ball. The umpire called that runner out. They touched second base with the ball, called that runner out. Instead of us getting four runs, we only got uh, uh, we, we got a, a triple play against us. We didn't score a run. Hmm. And that, this is when Coach Wooden asked me, because uh, uh, I said the the player came in and told the coach, even we learned later, that the, the player told the coach, you know, he didn't catch it. It rebounded off the trash bin. And uh, uh, Coach Wooden asked me, well, Gary, uh, if you were the coach, what have you done? And uh, my, my answer was uh, pleasing to him. I said, that's a tough question. I, I, uh, I'm not. I'm not so sure. Um, I, uh, I'm a little hesitant to tell you. And you, you wouldn't have. Uh, you wouldn't have admitted that your player didn't catch it on a fly. I said, well, I'm not. I, I was so wishy-washy, Ron. I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't come up with a, an answer. I knew what he wanted me to say, but I, 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 I didn't admit to it. I, I, I forget how I got out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, it's a true story. We, the thing is, the, uh, they have it on video, and uh, the umpire had his back. To the, to the runners, he, he couldn't have seen that they didn't tag up anyway, which we always thought our runners to tag up on any fly ball, you know, hit deep, you know. So, uh, but he had his back, he was looking at the ball. It was a night game, by the way, so it was uh, more difficult to see mm -hmm. than if it was a day game. But uh, the truth is, the ball clearly went over the fence, and it clearly bounced back right into the right fielder's hands as he, cause he jumped up to the top of the fence. He was leaning over the fence. He trapped it with his glove between the fence and, 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 and his glove and uh, jumped back onto the playing field, and they got the triple play. So anyway, I... I'll, I'll have to read that chapter in my book again <laughs> to, to refresh my memory on it, but that, that's how it went. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the interview, and I, I, I wanted to wrap up with this if we could. Uh, you mentioned that you never intended to be an author, but yet you, you've published several books, and, and you have a unique partnership with your wife. Can you share with the audience uh, a little bit of, of that background? Yeah, well, my 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 wife uh, Sandy, uh, uh, she's the one who who really knows her English. Knows, I mean, I don't need spell check. I, I just yell down to her when I'm <laughs> typing upstairs. You know, how do you spell this or that? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, I don't need I don't need spell check. And, uh, spell check can be deceiving anyway, as you know. You, you know the word. There, for right. example, right. Uh, but uh, 
and she's she's my editor in chief. So when I write, you know, she uh, she does the editing, and uh, uh, but what what I can do for some reason I don't know I'm I'm pretty creative, <laughs> so I used to tell my children uh, uh, these children's stories at bedtime. And when I got older and they got older, they said, Dad, you ought to, you know, write, uh, write books, write, you know, tell these stories in books, you know. So, so that's why that's so I can create the story, you know, but I always, when I'm finished writing it, thinking that, oh, that's perfect, everything's done, I show it to Sandy, and then she makes uh, thousands of corrections. <laughs> Yeah. But do you have a nice partnership, uh, not only from that standpoint, but you, you've, to collectively, you've produced a, a number of books, and and we'll put your website in the show notes so the audience could take a look at those because uh, it, it's a wide body of work. Yeah, well, Sandy, she's writing her own books now. I, I started it, and she's finishing up. She's she's writing books about all about her horses and about r- riding the horses in endurance races. Uh, and it, she now she's running. She's become uh, a runner. She uh, started out with the small runs, you know the. 3K, 2K, and then 5K, and just last weekend she ran a 10K. Actually, it was more than 10K, it was 10 miles, hmm. you know. So, uh, and that was on the trails, and that was a rough one, but uh, she's been been writing these uh, books that she titles them by the colors of the shoes that she wears. Hmm. Uh, I think they've been... Uh, green, pink, and red uh, so far in, in her uh, in her books so far. I, our website, uh, you know, I don't know if anybody's interested, but they can get a variety if they have children or grandchildren. They can get some good. Every children's story is, has a message, and my wife's stories have messages too. And, and of course, the book Conversations with Coach Woodman uh, I think has Coach Wooden's messages uh, more than mine. But uh, GaryAdamsBooks.com is the website. So if anybody's interested, uh, I know that uh, you can go on Amazon and buy them. Uh, if anybody wants to uh, wants me to sign a book or Sandy to sign her books, uh, they can uh, go on the website and order on the website, and and we'll send them a book, and they just tell us who who to autograph it for. You know, a message. We'll we'll, we'll put a message on there too, whatever they want. Wow, <laughs> that's great, and and we'll we'll certainly put that in the show notes information. Uh, Gary, okay. the the way I the way I wrap up every interview is you've. You've impacted so many lives through your coaching, and the book is called Conversations with Coach Wooden, but you talk a lot about the relationships with your players that you've had. You've had this impact with with the children's books that you've written as well. The the question I always ask at the end is, what's the legacy you hope to leave behind? Well, 
the people remembered me as a normal person who, who was considerate of others. <laughs> Pretty simple. Okay. Just a, your average Joe who, who loved people and, and tried to be as considerate as, as I possibly could be. Sometimes that was hard as a coach when they ask you, when reporters are asking you tough questions, but I, I remember I always had to think, you know what, they have a job to do, I have a job to do, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to get bitter, no matter, you, you know, they thought I should have sacrificed Bunnett instead of hitting away into a double play or something, <laughs> you know, I, I never did uh, get mad at the reporters, but it was a thought. I'd always think about, you know, they have a job to do. But to answer your question, I like to be remembered as a normal person who is considered of others. That's a great way to leave off the show, Gary. Uh, okay, thank, thank you, Ron. Thank, uh, it was my pleasure. Yeah, if you, if you can hold the line just for a moment uh, as okay. I wrap up here. Thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioan Show. This was episode 51 with... Retired collegiate NCAA championship baseball coach and author Gary Adams. And we were talking about his book, Conversations with Coach Wooden. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.